welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this episode today is about connection, and my guest is Lucas. And Lucas is, well, he was head boy at the Royal School, which is around the corner from me. So in terms of connection, I felt a connection immediately because I used to go swimming at the Royal School uh, very often because they had a 25 meter swimming pool in the area. Um, so yeah, I uh, yeah felt like Lucas and I had a bit of a bond to begin with, which was really nice. But Lucas is a guy, he's an entrepreneur that really believes in the power of network building, the power of connecting with people and how entrepreneurship is a real people game. Um, he's got a background in finance and capital markets, which is probably not what you'd expect um, when you first hear someone that's so uh, EQ based, let's just say. Um, but yeah, background in finance, uh, found his way into healthcare through a cancer story uh, that he has personally. Um and yeah, he's got degrees from Warwick, London School of Economics, um, and has gone on to found, uh, found Trust the Doctor, uh, which has done really well. He's now an advisor for Informedica, building venture in AI drug discovery. He's done loads of stuff, done a really cool journey. A really nice guy, a really good guy uh, in the space doing some really interesting things. So um, yeah, hope you enjoy this one. Lucas, what a background. First of all, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Um, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. I, I'm doing great. Uh, it, beautiful intro. Thank you. Very nicely sincere. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot to get through there, wasn't there? Um, but all incredibly relevant. I mean, I, it's, I, I've, got to, I've got to ask you, man, like growing up um, in Wolverhampton, uh, not many guests that I have on here I can, uh, I can talk about growing up in Wolves with, but... Um, yeah, tell me, how do you find yourself at the Royal School, being from Poland? So it's a beautiful story. Uh, so I came to the UK when I was 17 uh, at the back of a scholarship. Actually, yeah, the Royal School provided a scholarship for sixth form. And so I came before being sort of, uh, you know, b- being still quite a youngster. And um, and it was it was quite surreal. It was it was uh, the school was very international back then. Now it's a it's a free school. Uh, back then it was a private school. Um, I some of the most amazing friendships I've made uh, were there. I mean, it was just, it was just an inc- incredible experience. I, you know, as you mentioned, I, I was a head boy. It was, it was just a beautiful story. Fun, fun fact as well, um, we started to be really big on basketball when I was there. Um, it just so happened to be that I played, some of the Chinese kids played, and then we had some coaches. Um, so after me, they they reached like uh, semi-finals of UK competition, which was quite incredible. Given no that they've already been really good at swimming, swimming, they've got a really good sort of uh, football backbone. Yeah, so it was just great. I come back often. Uh, I used to be a, uh, until recently a governor of the school, always trying to uh, you know uh, give back because I think it's um, it's mm. it's just uh, I've just been so grateful um, to 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 be given the opportunity and and to be honest, actually. It shaped me a lot, uh, and I, I derived a lot of uh, qualities that I'm sort of deploying right now. Cool, man. That's awesome. So tell me, after the Royal School, you've gone to the University of Warwick, you've done London School of Economics, you've entered finance, you've built and exited a health tech company, you're now moving into biotech. Um, that's sort of, it's sort of like the... 
I don't know. It's like it's like the ideal path that to learn how money moves and to to understand finance and then to apply that to healthcare and build a company, exit, and it's the coming together of a lot of a lot of stuff. That and I've mentioned this before. We've had a couple of people with finance backgrounds that seem to approach building companies slightly differently. In my opinion, it, it seems that the people that have finance backgrounds tend to have a a real understanding of Firstly, how a business actually needs to operate and what the value of money actually is, which actually sounds really strange, but the value of cash, the value of cash flow, the value of capital and equity and all these things, which means that quite often the businesses that are built by people from finance are quite robust, but also they know how to exit. And I think that's fascinating to me that often the way that companies are built by finance people is with exit in mind. So it's a really interesting journey to learn finance for first. Um, and in a, in a much tinier way, you know, me shadowing people in finance in my background and knowing a little tiny bit about how finance worked helped me massively. So I can't imagine like how much an understanding of capital markets and everything would truly help. But yeah, talk me through it, man. Like, tell me, tell me the whole story. So uh, it's, it's, it's great that you say this because um, there were some really good, good positives and there were, there were also some, some sort of uh, funny uh, uh, realizations. So, okay, so I was in, I was in capital markets. Uh, I was trading a structured credit. So if you, you remember that film, uh, Big Short, you know, Ryan Gosling plays the, the, the key role. I basically, that was my market, asset-backed securities. So yes, on a, on a point of, from a point of view of confidence and just being able to uh, to, to, to pitch yourself to investors. Yes, that would, that was somewhat easier. But on the other hand, you know, when you, when you're in the big corporation, when everything is kind of done for you and you just, you know, you, you're a tiny, uh, tiny particle of the big, uh, big machinery, uh, you're realizing when you come into the, uh, the business, you, you, you have to do it all, right? So you can't just hide behind the big, big logo and, and um, yeah, so it was it was striking, and and also I think on a fundraising front, when we initially we got the money very very quickly, the whole story started actually in Harvard, uh, where Greg was doing his kind of uh, PLD, which is like an executive MBA. Uh, we had a beautiful idea at the back of the real cancer story. We thought, okay, let's let's present the story to the whole cohort of his group, and then basically two guys stood up. One said. Well, I'm, I, I want to be a, your medical co-founder. I'm a famous neurosurgeon in Switzerland. And the other guy goes, well, I'm a, I, I, I'm a sort of, I'm a private equity, but I have a, you know, I have a bunch of guys that want to invest. So we'll give you the cash. So it was kind of easy at the start, but, but then eventually, you know, you, you realize that, you know, it's not so easy. And, and, and I think, the problem with people from finance, I mean, it depends how you define finance. You know, if I was, if I had a more accounting background, maybe it would, would have been a lot more useful. But being in sort of in capital markets, being in sort of trading, uh, you know, we, we, we underestimated the, the level of complexity uh, of running a business. And also just, you know, when you step away from finance, you realize you're in real world, you have to hire people. Mm. And there are, there are some beautiful people that you cannot afford to pay a lot. Whereas, you know, in finance, everyone gets paid really nicely. It's all kind of a little bubble. Um, um, so so in, in a way, it was humbling. You know, we thought, okay, this is, this is real life. And, and uh, you know, when we initially, when we got the, got the money, we thought, uh, okay, let's do this. And, and I guess um, 
but but I guess maybe another thing that was very good about us in in terms of our background, we were very resilient. We thought, okay, we're not going to let this uh, die because we were on the brink of collapse many times, right? We you know we were running out of money and. But I think you just have to have that perseverance that we probably got a little bit from finance as well. You know, we, we said, okay, you know, even if the times are tough, we have to be strong. Uh, and, and maybe last point to make is when I was in capital markets, I was actually building different desks. So I, I built a desk in a, in a brokerage house and I was building a structured credit desk in a bank. So not realizing I was actually entrepreneur back then already. So I had to, you know, you know be building a little desk in a, in, a, in a big bank, you know, we had to have, you know, all the sort of qualities, you know, we were building the franchise clients, we, we had to be mindful of the balance sheet, the cost of funding and everything. So I was already kind of, you know, testing, testing the water, not realizing that this is really entrepreneurial. So when I stepped into a trusted doctor, I thought that actually works, you know, it's kind of the same playbook, playbook uh, to a certain degree. Mm. So, um, so I, I'm grateful, you know, I, some people always ask, ask me, you know, would you have done this earlier on? Yes, probably I would if, if the stars really aligned. But, you know, having gone through some corporate experience and then stepping into business with a real story, I think that was really beneficial. And that's, uh, you know, and then, and then, and then obviously, yes, I, I, you know, I, I'm really grateful that I've seen the business from, from zero to an exit, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's many times I see great businesses that maybe don't, don't go that far or maybe they've got a lot longer to see that uh, through. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, this, this has been an incredible, incredible journey, really grateful. And the timing was, was excellent. And, and also, you know, just um, I always found that when, when you work in finance, you, you're contributing, but you're not changing the world as much as you would or you could otherwise, whereas, you know, a trusted doctor basically started off as a telemedicine and oncology. We were pioneers. None of the oncologists wanted to do video calls back then. And then, and just second medical opinions where you can actually ask expert was uh, unheard of. And, but, you know, we were always impacting people. We were, we were helping them. And that, that gives me that extra fuel in the morning, you know, or at night when I was really sort of, you know, when there was tough and then I thinking, well, we're doing this for people. So, so, you know, and, and the whole story about pivoting was also, uh, in a way we wanted to solve the real problem. And then we were just realizing that there were some problems along the way that we need to be solved. So we, we went actually full, full circle, uh, with, with the business model. So we went from marketplace. So we were, we were, we started off as a, as a, as a marketplace of great neurosurgeons. So we had top neurosurgeons around the world. Uh, and then we moved on to a SAS for great hospitals, uh, both UK, but also internationally, Switzerland, US. And then eventually we're realizing, and, and this was a big realization for us. First of all, you know, you have to go through the, all the payers very quickly. And, and we realized that insurance is the payer because, um, not only, you know, insurance pays for our services and it fits well what we do. Secondly, I think, you know, the problem with the with the patients that we had was we I could we could have connected you to the best oncologist around you know in the you know best you know oncologist in the world but then you know you would get that opinion and then what do you do next you would still need the money to execute because many of those drugs many of those therapies um, are internationally you know you have to travel you have to you have to pay for some of those things so creating insurance it's obviously a game change because now we can, you know, for all the 4 million people that you mentioned, 
you know, obviously we're we're insuring. Uh, it's a protection insurance. We're insuring healthy people, but. God forbid, if, if something happens to them, we, we have the ability to give them flights, hotels, uh, and the full treatment up to £2 million, which is incredible. Uh, from my perspective, having gone through so many patient journeys, having seen the struggle, uh, because, you know, it's emotionally draining, but, you know, finan- financially as well, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a struggle. And, and um, so, you know, in the end, we, A, we achieve goals from up, personal point of view, you know, having gone through, you know, the, the full circle, but also we, we, we left legacy that it's impactful, that the company's still doing really well. It's private, private equity owned and it's, it's growing really fast. I'm really, really proud of it. And, and obviously trusted doctor as part of the group, because we merged with a company called Further uh, is now has become a backbone for anything that we do digitally, whether it is starting from claims all the way to kind of providing different uh, digital products, dashboards to our members, cross-selling and and just navigating. Because I think the big thing that we found, actually the reason we found the company was uh, Greg's mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was a banker at the time as well. We were both in London and he went around the block navigating and he thought that it was so hard to access the right treatment, you know, if we, you know, in the end, he knew so much that if we would have known this uh, at the beginning, he would have taken different uh, approaches. So, so I think it was a real problem. And then we, in the end, we we, we left a legacy. I certainly stepped away from the from the cell, uh, and then and then you know, just I'm I'm going to the next one, but but having that good good feel factor. It's a beautiful story, man. And there's so much in there that I want to talk to you about. I want to first take you all the way back to the start of your journey. And you mentioned that you were building a desk at a finance company, which I'm sure me and many of my listeners won't know that phrase or what that means. But it sounds to me like you were just building a function, right? You said you had to find funding and customers and essentially all of the bits and bobs to formulate a business. And that's what in part gave you the confidence when you started to trust a doctor, hey, I've done this before, and you had that sort of familiarity. I think that's a really interesting concept because one thing that I find is that is even in my own journey, and I know this of other people too, that often it's about belief that you can do something and start a company and solve that problem and build a little team to do it initially. And people can often struggle to find the confidence to do those things. And I think you're right. I think that people can find these proxies in their own life and in their own work and in their own experiences that can give them the confidence to do that. And it's interesting to me that you you seem to only have that reflection after you started Trust the Doctor, actually, and you were like, oh, I have actually done this before. I actually know this is, this is quite familiar. And, you know, maybe I would have done this anyway or either way, or maybe this was a different path for me, or I would have ended up here anyway sort of thing was the vibe I I got from you. And it, it seems to be the case that entrepreneurial people will find entrepreneurial things to do, even in their current jobs, where perhaps it might not feel that entrepreneurial, i.e. in finance. Actually, there are the entrepreneurial bits to find. And so... I think there are probably people listening that do have aspirations to start their own businesses, start their own companies, become that entrepreneur, and they might be looking for that confidence. So I don't know if you could say anything about that part of your life and 
and maybe just reflect on that for me and and give give some advice to people that are that are entrepreneurial and frustrated or entrepreneurial and doing entrepreneurial things in their job and perhaps have that idea but don't know where to start or are looking for the confidence. I don't know what you would say to them. No, no, this is a great point, and I I think this is the backbone uh, for me uh, in terms of. What I would say is um, I've always been very uh, big on my network. I, I love people, love connecting with people, you know, whether it is the people from high school, university, the, the Polish diaspora, entrepreneurs, finance. So I've just always been obsessed about just, just connecting with people. And I think that was my currency. Um, so actually, the reason I got into structured credit was one of my best friends at the back of the financial crisis. Who, he was a top dog in this arena. He said to me, you know, I was in consulting at the time. He said to me, you know, just drop what you're doing and join us and learn about trading bonds. And and then because he was a, such a great mentor and a friend, he's, I, I said, okay, I'm, you know, as long as you're sure about this, he, he was like, I can see you're a better salesman than a consultant. You know, you've got such a vast network. You, you'd be great at it. And he was right. And so, you know, so when, when I came to finance, I had to quickly re- learn on, on the fly uh, it was stressful, but I thrive in that sort of chaos. And actually, you know, when you're in the startup, it's the same thing. It's a chaos. And also, you need to tap into different people um, because for any element of your journey, you need different people. And um, and I was also very lucky that loads of people came onto my pathway um, that I ended up doing business with. So Structured Credit was a friend who brought me in. And then created the monster, if, if you like. I, I was really good at what I was doing because, you know, they just they had so much faith in me. Just to qualify, I came into finance as a kind of a VP level with no experience. I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. You know, I had to I have to accelerate my myself in six months. I was going to meetings, sometimes not understanding what I was doing. And I quickly had to. Um, so that's why I actually went to I went to LSE. I quickly signed up for LSE. It was a part-time master's. So I, you know, so I can sort of, I can, I can uh, accelerate. And also I wrote my dissertation on the bonds I was trading because I thought it would be so fun to call <laughs> up the clients that hate me. You know, the clients that don't like me, I said to them, you know, you know, you know potentially like French clients, or, you know, I said, look, look, you don't want my bonds. I know that, but I've got a discourse. I've got this really nice topic about the bonds that we're trading. Would you give me a hand? And they loved it. They were like, ah, oh, this is amazing. And um, so you got to try everything. So for instance, you know, with my American clients, the big thing was basketball. You know, I set it up something called structure credit basketball, and we used to play once a month. I, I'm really, really passionate about the sport. And they, and they loved it, you know, like just, you know, when they got their elbows down, down, you know, when I was driving, they thought it was like the real, real deal. You know, they didn't want my uh, dinners and nice chat. They wanted the competitiveness. And so everyone, you know, you know, there's different ways for different things. So, so what I would say, go, going back to your question is, um, you know, uh, if you, if you put yourself out there and I appreciate not everyone is maybe as open as I was and you, you meet great people and then you align because I met with Greg and Greg, and it was a beautiful alignment. I mean, he was my best friend, but also he's a trader. I was a sales. So on a, in a financial markets term, we were the mm. perfect fit. And then we realized mm. that I love doing business development and network development. He loves doing finance and digital tech. He's more kind of technical. He's very in-depth guy. So, and, you know, so I was really lucky. I got that at the beginning. And then obviously, as we were building the team, we just, we just managed to come across some beautiful people that we still friends and we're still very close. 
Um, so yeah, if you put yourself out there, you meet people that are, um, that, you know, that, that you can join forces. And that's, I wouldn't have done this myself, uh, alone. I, you, you have to have the team. So now when I'm doing this the second time, it's again, you know, just finding the, the great people. But it so happened to be that I'm always doing businesses with friends. So if you want to do business with me, it's likely that we're going to become friends because I just, that's how I, uh, that's how I operate. I, I can't do pleasantries and I, I, I'm the kind of the, you know, uh, and I appreciate different cultures, you know, being in the UK, for instance, you know, I had to learn that you had to, you know, earn your trust and it, it took time. You know, I, I, you know, I remember in high school with my English friends, I was like, on the first day, I was like, okay, let's light it up, you know? And they were like, no, 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 it's not, let's not light it up. You know, we don't know you. Um, <laughs> and, um, but, but, but I think, you know, it, it pays off and, and also it just pays off to be, uh, to be helpful. I'm, I, I was doing loads of pro bono stuff always. I was running some organizations. I was always spending loads of time doing something for free, you know, running a team or running a, a club. And I think that's also pays off, uh, because then you meet, re- you know, people that, you know, appreciate who you are. So, you know, the network is key. I think, yeah, aligning with the team is, 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 is vital and, um, but you're right. It's something that you said, you know, earlier on about the confidence. I think, uh, and actually going back to the Wolverhampton days, you know, I think these guys gave me confidence. You know, I I was a I was a you know I come from a lower middle class background in Poland, and I came to the UK as a I was probably the the, the poorest student in this private school, but I never forget how my friends used to say to me. And, you know, we used to have this discourse. I said, life is uh, really, really bad because I don't have the laptop and everything has to be word processed. You know, how do I reconcile that? And I remember one of my best friends who was a really rich, rich, uh, you know, comes from a rich family. He says to me, he said, dude, money is the last thing that you should be worrying about. You know, this, this is like, you, you, you just have to think about greater things and, and, uh, and, and I remember it was just, it was liberating. You know, I, I came to uni and I then came to industry thinking, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be worrying about the money so much. I'm going to be worrying about, you know, development and making sure that I'm a good, good person. I've got some great values in me and, and things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it, you need to have the confidence, you know, and, and, you know, once you are, you, you have the, the team, the confidence, the, you know, some of that backbone in the network. I think anyone can do business, and uh, and and obviously, yes, you could risk yourself a little bit here and there, and uh, but but you know you will make the same mistake. So um, so you know you just have to kind of uh, you know jump. And I appreciate that was really tough for me because I was when I was in banking, I had a stable paycheck, really nice nice salary, nice bonus, and me jumping into a startup. It was you know I I we paid ourselves nothing. It was just crazy, and I've just realizing how. But there's another twist. Sorry, I'm jumping. But there's another twist to the story. I've never actually said this on 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 air. I actually went to uni. So hear hear me out. 2002, I came to uni with no money, and I was an overseas student. I went to Warwick. I didn't tell them that I don't have the money, and I arrived the first year without paying. And I was dragged into fees committees and stuff like that. They used to set the precedent after me that every international student should need to show them the bank accounts before accepting the offer. Um, I ended up paying it all back, and you know some of the professors really helped me to stay alive. But I went to uni, and and, and I'll tell you why why I'm saying it's it, there is a parallel hill here. 
I was so resourceful in my first year. I lost all my hair. I was, cr- I, but I was so good at it. Like I was so uh, on point because you had to survive. So, you know, when we were on the brink of collapse at, in the startup, there was a one or two times we had no money. The same instinct switched off and switched on. It was crazy. It was like, I'm like feeling like I'm again in my first year of university and I just have to deliver. And, and, you know, some people, you know, this may cripple some of the people. I, I was, it was, for me, it was very good. It was really helped me in life to just to be a bit more resilient. But I appreciate, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do. And in hindsight, it's a nice story. But back then, it was kind of scary. It's a beautiful story, man. And like, I mean, there's, there's so much in there about resourcefulness and oh, just everything that goes into survival and making it as you have which you should be incredibly proud of the thing that i want to highlight though is the word that you said i think most in that entire story which was people i think you've got you said at the start actually that network and connecting people was your currency and still is seemingly your currency for developing people around you that can help you and you can help them so creating this community And I can see so many parallels in that with how we're trying to do things too. And, you know, you've been to our events and the things that we put on for the space in order to foster that community. And it's kind of, it was the same for me at the start, you know, like I'd always, I used to hate networking. I used to not be very good at it. You seem quite extroverted. And actually I imagine going up to people that you don't know might be relatively easy for you. It certainly wasn't for me. So I used to set myself these little challenges of like, if I was, if I was at an event and I needed to like speak to people, I'd try and find one person to add value to and then I'd allow myself to leave and then it was two people and then three people and like could I and the more people I knew obviously the easier it was to add value because I would connect people and by connecting one person to another and they receive some value automatically you feel good and you're perceived by them as being able to introduce them to good people so that's a good thing and I started in a really similar place and I think one thing that hits me about your story as well is that you seem to you do actually seem to genuinely care. Like it, it, it does matter to you that you are surrounded by nice people doing nice things and that, that cause you talked about values and that side of things as well. And so I think there's so much about connecting people that requires you to be genuine as well. Cause sometimes you connect people not expecting anything return and not getting anything in return. And that's incredibly common. That's more common than doing an intro and ever getting anything out of it. And I think you have to be the sort of person that just genuinely wants to do that and is in a place where you can sort of selflessly build community in that way. So I think I think that is so important. I do just want to come back to one thing, though, that you said really, really near the beginning of your journey, of, of that story of your journey, because you mentioned this point at which you were going to meetings with no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> like, I think that is so relatable. And I'll t- I t- I give you an example, right? So when I started at the Digital Health.London Accelerator, which was like, you know, relatively prestigious accelerator, like at the very beginning, there was no other sort of NHS accelerator at the time. It was like super innovative and all that sort of stuff. I'd had this background of quality improvement. So helping those people like bits and bobs in the hospital and writing business cases, this, and the other. So I knew the finance world a bit, but I didn't know the finance world massively. I didn't know sort of the, the broader sort of NHS finance type stuff. I knew it sort of local to a hospital of like how they'd buy a technology or startup or device or something. Anyway, 
they kept like in the in the induction week they kept using the word procurement and i had literally no understanding of what this word procurement meant which is like quite funny that i'd done pretty much or i'd done so much like quality improvement that for, but for some for whatever reason i'd never come across the word procurement or i might have done and just not asked what it was for fear of looking silly they kept using this word procurement and I was like, what on earth does this procurement word? And on the first day it was used again and again and again. I couldn't get my phone out to Google it because it was like I was sat next to people that I was going to be working with. So I was like, had to just like completely blag it that I just knew what this word procurement meant. And of course I now know what procurement means, but I can very much relate to, to getting yourself into a position where you're in a meeting with no idea what you're doing. And in part, like... That's kind of what building a career is about. Like you need to put yourself in these rooms where you aren't anywhere near the smartest person and not, are not anywhere near the person with the most knowledge. And in fact, you might want to be the opposite because actually you're going to do the most growth. And so, yeah, I, I think very, very, very relatable that, mate. But I, I love that whole people thing. I love, I love how that's your currency. I love how you've managed to actually turn that into tangible value and actually throughout your life, not only survival, as you've quite rightly put it, which I don't think is is grandiose at all to say that coming over from Poland, making a financial living at all to eat and to get through university and to do all those things. And it's interesting to me that your professors were the ones helping you by the end of it, even though it was the university that you duped in the first place. I think that is fascinating and says a lot for how you build relationships. Was, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. It was, it was incredible, you know, it, and, um, but you know everyone was really um but yeah you it's 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 you have to um yeah you have to have that positivity and i remember and you rightly said i've i've always been kind of true to myself right true to my values and i'll give you even like the kind of the point is you know sometimes sometimes we are judged or sometimes we're we're sidelined by certain biases or or things around us but i was always the guy so i'll give you an example you know um People, um, some of my friends went to more prestigious schools, uh, in, you know, you know, nicer places than Wolverhampton. And they used to laugh. I was like, no, no, no. Wolverhampton is my place. I really love it. And, and I big Wolverhampton everywhere. In fact, when I'm on the call in with, with a healthcare provider up north, and, uh, you know, they sometimes joke, oh, you guys in London, you have no idea what it's yeah, like to yeah. be up north. I was like, oh, <clears throat> I was like, excuse me, I went to school in Wolverhampton. And then there is silence. And, you know, so for instance, <laughs> Wolverhampton is a bit, it's, it's, it's a big thing for me. You know, like I, I, I genuinely relate. Uh, I used yeah. to work in the JD Weatherspoons uh, next to the station, Moon on the Water, meeting people, talking to them. I know and they it used well. to say sometimes to, to me, so, so it's, they used to say to me sometimes, oh, you know, polls are taking our jobs, but I'll take that discourse. I said, well, let's have a talk about that. And I love that. And, um, and the second thing is, for instance, my Polish network. Uh, some of my friends that came from Poland, they've, they've done well. They forgot about it. You know, they say, oh, I want to be a bit more international. I don't want to be Polish because Polish, that means like, you know, it kind of, it's got some connotations to good builders and, 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 and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to big it up. Uh, you know, for me, this is important. And now, actually, 20 years later, you know, when you talk about AI, the best AI engineers out there are Polish. And, you know, so we're kind of, you know, you know, there's so many beautiful things that are coming out of Poland. I'm not saying I'm intolerant or non-sensitive to other nations because I've got friends from all walks of life and, and I'm really, like, grateful that I have that diversity. But I am big on... I actually did the post this morning about the economic patriotism. I believe in that. I believe in, as a British and Polish national, 
okay, Polish national, but British by sort of by uh, by passport. I feel like I'm, you know, there's a duty in, in, you know, big this up, you know, people say, oh, Brexit, yeah, we've done this, I'm really, it's a shame that Brexit happened, but we just have to deal with it now, right? And uh, so for me, I'm always like this kind of soldier ambassador. So I think I, this is really important. The minute you're, you're very clear on your values, people start relating to you and people say, well, I, I like that because I think we're, uh, we're at this stage in, in the world that everyone is craving for something genuine. And you, 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 you mentioned this at the beginning that I, I come across this way. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I, I try to be like that because I think we're, you know, I don't want to mold into something else. Uh, you know, I want to be kind of, I, I want to be stick, sticking to, uh, I want to stick to, you know, things I believe. And even if sometimes it is a bit tougher, you know, going, you know, you, you were talking about networking. I mean, you know, obviously I, I speak English, but, you know, I, nowhere near as flawlessly as you. you. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I was locked in a room with people who are, you know, beautifully spoken. And, uh, and I had to, you know, it was, it was a challenge to, uh, to say yeah. something really profoundly differently or profoundly interesting or make a really, I remember like making a good joke. Um, it was like a, a skill that I always wanted to master. You know, like you, you have a room full of really tight people, and, uh, and then suddenly, suddenly, um, suddenly, you you come up with something really disarming, and everyone laughs, and it says, "Oh, this guy is really, really cool." So, so you know, it's um, but but if you're pretending to be someone else, that never, I, I believe, it never works. Um, so, so yeah, so that was kind of always my currency, and I'm, um, you know, I I, I want to stick this way. I mean, I you know, I hope. It will never change. So, so I actually had the the other day. I had a friend calling me saying, you know, it's it's quite funny that you know you've had your exit and you've got you've had your other things, and this does not change you. You're still the same guy, talks a lot, and you know, being so kind of fired up and 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 humble at the same time because I I, I am humble. I I never forget how you know what, what's important. You know, I, I I know what's going on back home, but also. Uh, you know, I, I've got loads of friends who took a different path. And, and also I know so many, you know, cancer patient stories that are, uh, you know, that is inspirational. So I'm, you know, so for me, like I always, you know, I always have uh, my feet on the ground thinking, you know, you, you, you live your, you, you live the day like it's your last kind of thing. It's mm. nice, man. I want to hear the story of Trust the Doctor now. It's a nice segue into it. You talked about Greg's mother actually having pancreatic cancer, obviously a, a devastatingly rapid, often cancer that can claim you very quickly, um, leaves a lot of confusion and um, just a, a lot of terrible emotion in its wake, often for families and, and that kind of thing. And Trust the Doctor obviously coming out of that. So talk to me about the founding of Trust the Doctor about the idea and I guess this is you trying to put into the world what Greg and yourself wish existed, I guess. Yeah, so it was it was a great story because actually we started off, so the, the premise was we want to access doctors globally because that's where, you know, once we access them easily, we can navigate. However, the first idea was actually to raid doctors. And I remember we built this engine, we scraped, you know, like we took a bunch of coders and we said, okay, let's scrape everything that we know about th those great doctors from PubMed, from, from all, all sorts of places, conferences, and let create a database that we can rate doctors per country. And I remember Greg went to Harvard and then he, 
he um, he presented the engine, um, and then this neurosurgeon uh, stands up and he goes, "Oh, can you search uh, Switzerland and neurosurgery?" So Greg searches the engine, and the guy miraculously comes up fifth, right? Fifth, <laughs> and the first thing he and and it was like amazing. Everyone is clapping. This is incredible. Like we've got something, right? And the guy goes, "Well, it's all well and good, but let me tell you something about doctors. No one likes to be fifth." I'm the best, right? Like I, you know, and it was like, okay, Absolutely, the first yeah. thing you were saying, okay, so, so this not going to work, but it, he loved the idea of, 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 you know, of having the quality out there, because I think with doctors, especially mm-hmm. with cancer, you know, your, your, your ability, your, you know, your, your probability of a good outcome is, is, is correlated to a greater doctor that you, you can access. And then we realizing very, very quickly, we were like, okay, so we've got this, we've got the story, let's just focus on cancer. And that was a first big realization. Now then, obviously, we, we had zero network and no one really knew about us. Um, so obviously, Philippe, uh, Professor Schucht from, I mean, he was a, he's a famous uh, neurosurgeon in the Inselspital in Bern. So he really helped us out. But we also had to hustle, you know, like, um, we were known as these two Polish guys running around Harley Street as a, who, who, who are these guys? Um, but once we convinced few really good guys, really, really like the, 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 the trick was to identify the best guys in their category. So the best neurosurgeon, the best, you know, pancreatic oncologist, that kind of stuff. And then the minute you have the best, you go to others and you say, could you join our network? And they would ask who is in the network. And I said, well, you know, there is, you know, there is this guy or that guy. And, uh, and, and then, and then that's how it started. And people used to say to us, Building a network, a premier network of really great doctors is not scalable because they're going to be in all these countries and, and you're just not going to make money. They were kind of right because we were talking to the Babylon people early on and they used, they wanted to do this, uh, specialist healthcare before they wanted to do a GP, right? But they were telling us that the GP is a bit more scalable, right? With the, with the AI to, to it. So, so we were like, okay, no, no, let's do the, the difficult part. Once we have the quality, we'll figure this out. I wish we maybe were more commercial from the start, but still, we mm. built something beautiful uh, against the odds, right? And then, and then once we found that the insurance is uh, is is the is the, is the model is the vertical, you know, people that we connected with, they were like, we love the quality. That's what we want. You know, in protection insurance, it's about you know, it's you know, if if you ha- if you're building a, a, a global cancer insurance, you want to access the best, you know, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, you know, Mayo Clinic, you want to go to Charita, you want to go to, uh, you know, Royal Marsden in London, you know, you want to go to those best, best hospitals. And then, and then we started to, you know, to have that real traction that we were like, okay, we've built something beautiful. But, you know, we should have, if we didn't, have this naivety at the beginning, we wouldn't have built it. So sometimes you have to have this naivety and the passion for something. So then you can co- commercialize it later. So, so I think, you know, that was a big realization. Obviously I, we went through the pivots. Um, so I think pivoting is very important. So, uh, uh, and we, we were trying all these different verticals and we, you know, we had to go through that journey. And the funny thing is sometimes the best meetings that we had were the meetings with, you know, where we thought we are meeting a com- potential competitor. And then we realizing we're not really competitor, we're a complement. So we met this guy who, uh, called Darren, who, um, who built <clears throat> the best, uh, sort of the biggest uh, concierge company in London. 
uh, called uh, Harley Street Cancer Concierge. Now it's called Reframe. He, he also exited that business. That business was seeded by the richest uh, lady in Scotland, Anne Glogue. And basically, when we met him, he was like, I love what you do because I kind of wanted to do this manually. You do this digitally, right? So, so then he eventually became our uh, a board member and we worked together and we, we had a client in the US. So, um, so, you know, all those, um, you know, we, we kind of pivoted. And then in the end, before, uh, before COVID, we, we were working with a company called Further. Um, because essentially they, um, Further, um, is, is a spin out of Best Doctors and, and Best Doctors was bought by Teladoc in 2017. And so when we met the guys, the CEO of the company has been building best doctors in Europe for, for 20 years, right? So, so he understood the value of second medical opinion and the way you could, you know, give people access to global healthcare, especially in cancer. So when we met, he was like, I'm so bought in. Uh, and then eventually when we were start working together, you know, he was like, okay, we've got to be together. We have to merge. So people think that COVID uh, pushed us into merging. We actually had the merging on the table beforehand, but actually maybe the COVID really accelerated our, our you know, process. Um, but I think it was a beautiful story because we found a, a perfect alignment. Uh, so I'm a big, big uh, advocate and, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate for merging as a, as a way of actually accelerating your growth. Because, if you think about it, we've built a telemedicine business with uh, with nice kind of verticals, but but insurance was the client. So merging with a client, if you like, we probably saved ourselves five to six years to that exit. And uh, and then obviously that means that we created a category in itself. So digitally enabled cancer insurance. There's nothing like this in the world. And 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 our business model is we sell through major insurers. Um, so. For instance, in UK, and maybe this is a bit of a product placement, but you know, you could go to someone like Aviva, and you can buy Aviva Global Doctors, and this is basically us. Uh, you can buy an add-on to your life insurance, and this is like gives you that access to global care. In UK, people love the the NHS, and rightly so because it's I think it's an incredible institution with its you know pluses and minuses, but it's an incredible institution. So people really believe in the healthcare here, but in other countries, you know, people have to go abroad to access healthcare. So there is a different narrative to selling these insurances in different countries, but the end goal is we're treating, uh, you know, people around the world, we're navigating healthcare, we're changing people's lives. And, and, you know, and in the end we were like, okay, this is a great story. And this is what, you know, this is exactly what we wanted at the start. We wanted to access healthcare digitally because that that was the flavor of the of the the world was coming this way you know the digital transformation was already underway and but in order to for you to have that full spectrum you have to have a financial product you have to have a, a means to pay for this treatment because that's the reality and um so so in a way when i'm now doing new businesses i'm always trying to think about you know an exit uh, trying to think about the full cycle, where do we want to be in the future, and and also who is the payer? Because I think that's the big biggest hurdle for digital health startups. They don't really understand the payer from uh, from uh, you know early on. They're building something beautiful which is useful, but maybe no one wants to pay for it. And and you know and this is a and this is a big big tragedy of digital health. You know we went to all these meetings with uh, you know early stage VCs. No one said it's a bad idea. Right. Everyone said it's a great idea, but maybe not everyone really felt the 
you know, telemedicine oncology will pay for itself. Um, so, so that was an interesting point. And maybe we should have, uh, you know, you know, if we had more experience in healthcare, uh, maybe we would have been, you know, we would have been in a different place. But it was also quite, quite nice to hear that and also to adjust. Um, so it wasn't, you know, the first money was easy, but then raising finance, uh, you know, the second, third round uh, was, was much tougher. But I think it, it comes back to the, to the network uh, and maybe what we've done, actually, which was quite cool. Um, we built a great board of directors for, our, you know, at the time, seed pre, pre-series A level company. So people used to laugh at us. It's like, you are such a small company, yet you, your, your board looks like a billion dollar board. And actually, that proved to be a really good strategy because when we were merging, the other party really respected our board. And in fact, our board become, became the group board. And so I think that was another really good thing. You know, it's always about the network, you know, who, who is advising you, who, you know, who, who gives you credibility. And we were really grateful. So one of the person who really helped us uh, was Dr. Annalisa Jenkins. She's, she's quite, quite big in biotech, but also health tech mm-hmm. in London. Uh, and she really was one of those early people that really thought there's something in there. Uh, and, and, and she was just great. You know, she was, uh, you know, really, she's a doctor. Uh, fun fact is she was one of the first doctors working in submarines back in 90s. Uh, in UK. Um, so, you know, it's just a really incredible person. And so we had a full board of, of people like that. And, and, and obviously, uh, maybe we didn't need as much, but we still wanted to have these people there. They felt they, they bought into a story. Um, so all these things that you do early on that maybe are questionable, you know, they pay off in the, you know, in the, in the future. So, you know, obviously a great network, great, uh, you know, focusing on quality, but also having those those advisors and we were ready to give them uh, you know piece of the the company because we thought you know if we have a grassroots movement um so you know some of our doctors who were who were you know one of the key doctor that we had was the world's greatest uh, neurooncologist uh, professor Roger Stupp he's now at Northwestern he was a former president of ERTC he was like he was the person who really vouched for us he was like these guys are incredible uh, the network is solid and, and, you know, and, and we need to, we, the, the challenge was to convince him. Once we convinced them, we, you know, it, it kind of, it, it, it went from there. So, so there's a lot of kind of points early on what we, we've done well, uh, not realizing that really they, they're going to, they're going to be a, you know, they're going to be a big advantage for us later, later on, you know, as, as we were kind of, you know, and also now selling to private equity, uh, you know, we, we had two businesses coming together, perfect alignment, but also, uh, you know, very big, you know, kind of versatility that, you know, for all those, let's say, old policies, we could have, you know, do digital uh, products for them, for the new ones, we can we can provide something that, you know, it's not out there at all. I mean, insurance is, it's fair to say insurance is also one of those lagging sectors in terms of digital fr- transformation. So now, obviously, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot more in short text and things. Um, so, you know, it's just, but timing is also important, right? Now, right now, if I was doing a business and I'm doing a new one, I'm focusing on AI, right? Because, because I think that there is a merit there, um, not to getting into a hype because we didn't get to telemedicine 2016 for a sake of medicine, uh, telemedicine. We had a particular problem to solve. And when I look at AI right now in healthcare, I'm again, I'm looking at specific problem 
that I'm trying to solve. I'm not looking at just developing something which is nice and shiny, but maybe doesn't, you know, doesn't have commercial backbone. Before we talk about AI, I want to ask you, because you've been at the center of three things that struggle to be talked about in the same breath, which are healthcare, insurance, and finance. Now, anywhere except the UK or anywhere with the public healthcare system, those three things are probably talked about a lot more comfortably. Whereas in the UK, it's very uncomfortable to talk about healthcare and insurance. It's very uncomfortable to talk about healthcare and finance. But obviously, you've built a company that initially looked to solve the problem of I I just want the best care. It started at looking at who are the best people to deliver that care. Let's rank all the surgeons. And that's how it started there. But in order to solve that problem, you've ended up in insurance because I want the best care. Often means, well, you might be able to access it, but you then can't afford to pay for it. And that's where this comes in. So it is still solving that core problem. Now, you're also from a background of what sounds like moments of financial adversity. And so you're you're not born with a silver spoon here. You're not someone who is from wealth that is building a company for the wealthy. But you mentioned it actually when you talked about there's an issue with the fact that you need people to pay for treatment. And one of my concerns is increasingly that health tech and digital health and the business models that are being created looking for payers, another thing you mentioned, difficult to find payers, end up creating this this divide and this wealth gap of, is well, is digital health actually just for the wealthy? Because they're the ones that can put their hand in their pocket. And at the moment, the business models are around self-payment rather than state reimbursement for so much stuff. So I think it's a really interesting point that you've got to, or you did get to with Trust the Doctor, that actually combining healthcare insurance and finance into what is essentially an insure tech product, but then serving that to the healthcare world was the answer for increasing access and increasing delivery of a certain standard of care to a certain group of people. And that is what solved the problem for you to the tune of then sharpening up the business and being able to exit for that amount or the rest of it. But it it seems like you've managed to merge those three uncomfortable worlds to a solution that worked. So can you talk about that kind of uncomfortability for me and what it was like building a company in the middle of that and how that actually turns into value given the background that you've got and given the fact that you must champion those that are less fortunate? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, very good question. And it was, it was paramount for us to, to nag- navigate this very well because you know, at some point where we were building, uh, you're right, we, we actually went uh, to NHS Digital Accelerator, but we quickly realized uh, that, you know, our services are not for NHS. It's more for private, you know, pa- private patient units. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was very hard because eventually we were, and this is, this is the thing why we were looking for other solutions because 
we got to a point that there were two types of customers that we had initially. Because um, we actually went to charities and we went to patient advocacy groups. We wanted to give stuff for free, in fact. But but also, like we realized that we had people that were sourced by those charities, and sometimes there were, you know, there were, uh, you know, GoFundMe type of initiatives that would pay for treatment, and there were the, the people who are really rich. So we were like, this is this is not great. Uh, you know, we're building something for you know for a minority of the society. Um, so when we came across in, in you know in terms of insurance, how do we democratize this? You know, how do we how do we make sure that uh, you know you know a, a regular person can can access that? Unfortunately, uh, not always is about the money. It's also about the awareness because you know if if I if I tell you that Aviva Global Doctors cost three pounds a month in UK as an add on to your life insurance, you wouldn't believe me. You would do due diligence on it, uh, and but it does because. Uh, and, and it gives you access to, you know, I, I appreciate in this in this age group, we that the, the you know the probability of getting cancer is less. But still, you know, if you do get cancer, you want to navigate this, and you know, many times you 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 have to go further afield internationally to access your uh, to, to access treatment. So, you know, it's it's about awareness. You know, in UK, people. And you're right. It, people, is, uh, UK is very, very specific because people are so bought into NHS and they just don't feel like paying out of pocket. For instance, in Poland, you know, arguably much more, you know, still a developing country. We are so used to paying out of pocket because we don't have, we can't rely on the state to provide us care. Um, so things like blood tests and you know MRI scans, I would pay out of pocket because you know it's just I'm used to that now. Now, there is also a trap to that because, you know, the services on a relative value basis are much cheaper in Poland, given your, your, your purchasing yes. power. Whereas in UK, we have this, we have this problem, we have this problem that, um, you know, private healthcare is more expensive. Why? Because the payer is insurance, never out of pocket unless you're, you know, you know, a, a rich person mm-hmm. coming, you know, on a shopping tri- trip to, to London or something like that, and uh, you know, and this is the the problem because and and also NHS sometimes will rely on private providers. So I think the problem is you know a people don't pay out of pocket, and then also there is uh, you know the the private sector is still relatively small. It's very U- London centric. It's not uh, the whole England where you know when we went to different hospitals around England, they you know the private patient units they didn't really have ability to source patients because London was so concentrated. So yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. And also, you know, we were, we were operating in Switzerland where the system is completely different. It's quasi insured. Everyone is somehow like, everyone's got a, like a private insurance. And, you know, the hospitals are like five star hotels. You know, it's, it's kind of, a, obviously it's a smaller country. And um, so it's, a, you know, it's just a different model. So we, we, you know, and, and, and we struggled to fit there as well because, you know, everything was so integrated to a hospital. So, um, you know, so for instance, uh, 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 you know, Doxa is owned by a hospital, whereas in UK, which is another bizarre thing, which is good and bad, doctors are free agents. Uh, so, you know, we love the fact that we could tap into individual doctors without having permissions from hospitals. But but that creates also uh, the the problem where you know there is no reimbursement structures like you said there is no uh, you know there's no co-payment uh, you know okay employers will give you health insurance um, 
But many of the employers will give you cash plans, which are essentially microinsurance up to a cap. So, and, and you know, when you get cancer, you, you know, cash plan won't play, pay for your uh, for your treatment. So I think, yeah, there was a there was a there was a lot of there was a lot of struggle. But but equally, I think I'm really hoping that this will change. I I, I do believe in, and I don't want to you know I don't want to s- spread the the, the 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 wrong gospel because maybe I I don't want to be out of line because I love NHS and I love this country. Uh, but I do believe that we have to co-pay. Uh, we have to, you know, the, the system needs to change because, it, and also the problem with NHS, which I found spending so much time in hospitals, you know, we are, you know, NHS is for everything and for everyone. And you can't have that, you know, like it's it's just like, you can't be like everything to everyone because, you're just not going to balance the books. And I, I never forget mm-hmm. how when I was a banker and I had a f- private insurance, I had a seizure. And I went to uh, Royal London Hospital, uh, A&E. They took me in. They were so scared that I had some, something big problem. You know, they, they did a PET scan for me. They, they did, uh, <sighs> you know, there was like four doctors looking looking after me in a space of two hours. We were crazy, right? I, okay, nowadays it's a bit harder. But it, it was like 15 years ago. And I walked away from that hospital. I thought, wow, I got mm-hmm. that for free. They didn't even ask my name. Like, they didn't ask mm-hmm. my insurance, nothing. And I was like, this is incredible on one hand. But scary on the other hand, if, if, if that's how the system works, that you could just walk in to a, to a, to a, a you know, emergency. So, so there's a lot of challenges. And I think there's a lot of good and, th- and bad. Maybe I think that the recipe is, is for sy- systems to talk to one another and, and maybe derive best practices. Because I don't, I'm not going to say that everything is bad. I, I, I love the fact that, you know, you know, when you go to US, for instance, you know, and then let's, let's say you lost your job. And you don't have that, you know, insurance window for a couple of months, and then something happens to you. Uh, it's crazy, right? Whereas in the UK, it's almost like a pride of the nation. You know, we have it all for free. And sometimes, mm-hmm. and you know, people, the, the, you know, the Polish people always ask me, "Oh, you know, NHS is really like really bad." I was like, "Why, why do you say this?" Oh, because you know, when I go to a GP ask me to uh, gp gives me a paracetamol or ask me to drink loads of water i was like rightly so because you know the polish gp will prescribe you ten thousand tablets that are being advertised on 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 tv but i always say nhs is amazing when when you're really seriously ill because that's where the excellence and and everything you know shines through but you know but but obviously the big question is what about the prevention and and you know you look at the stats and the, the you know the screening of of patients in the UK versus the Europe is it's much less part, it's also part of the culture right i mean it's uh, you know people just uh, you know people don't want to screen until you know it's necessary which you know which arguably it's you know it's kind of a but it's still people live quite long so so you know the system is great, uh, but it's but coming back to your question, I've obviously rambled, but these points are really difficult, um, important to to flash out that you know there are a lot of differences in different systems, and when we were navigating global healthcare, we we had to adjust, and and also there were some tough um, there were some tough uh, decisions to be made, right? So which way are we going, and where do we focus, and and um, and you know so so obviously insurance. Uh, it's it's incredible model because if you think about it, you know, yesterday I was selling SaaS to a hospital in UK, let's say, or in Spain or in in Switzerland, 
And because I'm, I'm, I'm effectively managing the money of the reinsurer because the, the way we do the products, they're, they're reinsurance products. So we, we put together the product, the insurers will sell it, the reinsurer will basically pay for it. We've got the middle. Um, so overnight, I've become a payer to hospitals. So you, you would, you would, you, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine how incredible that was. You know, I walk into a hospital and suddenly these guys are like, "Oh, Lucas, uh, you know, here's like dinner. For, you know, could we like could we do something for you?" Because we were spending a lot of money uh, on our patients, paying top dollar for our international patients in those hospitals. So, so it was a kind of a you know mind opening uh, and eye opening that you know that you know this thing really changes changes the game. Uh, but still, uh, we are doing this, um, you know, on the protection uh, on the protection insurance market. Not many people realize these things exist, and um, so there's a lot of awareness that needs to needs to come through. But also, uh, I, I still believe that you know, in the UK, we can really change the system uh, and, and make it a bit more uh, affordable and accessible. Maybe we just have to pay a bit more. I would be happy to pay. And like a quasi insurance, you know. Imagine if you pay like I don't know five, ten quid for a for a cash plan each month. Um, I would pay that, that for you know. I would contribute that to a, to an NHS, and then we would have the pot, pot of money that can get redistributed. We could kind of refurbish the hospitals because uh, that's another thing. You know, the hospitals are like the fortresses in the UK, right? When it, you go to Spain, and they're like incredible. I mean. It's you know like like five star hotels. I mean, everyone everything is seamless. Okay, the language capabilities maybe not not there, but everything else is incredible. The the doctors are great, and and it's you know you, you can see that you know it's all kind of brand brand new, and it all works because because it's affordable. I, I think I think I I fear that NHS at some point uh, you know becomes unaffordable, and then we get these problems and where. It's almost like the private school problem, you know. If the education as a whole degrades in different areas, people with money will result to private schools, right? And um, so, so the fear here is, you know, if the healthcare standards degrade, people go to private care. But like you said, only the ones that can afford it will be able to um, to access it, and and that's wrong. I think I would be happy to for all of us to contribute. And to prop up the NHS, but also NHS needs to ha- needs to be more cohesive, right? I mean, that was another thing that we found. You know, we would talk to different trusts, and they would be doing the you know different projects, you know, maybe similar projects, uh, but not not always. They would talk to one another, you know. And uh, but but on the flip side, you know, it's a big organization. You know, there's no many comparables to that. So. So going back to your original question, when we were building the trusted doctor and we were navigating, there was a lot of really good insights came came through, and there was a lot of tough decisions, and a lot of um, you know we just have to be. Eventually, we 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 had to drop our kind of romantic view of the world and be very disciplined about you know producing results, paying for things, and and just be be profitable. Because actually, as a group, we we were profitable, which was which was incredible. Uh, to my standards, and then you know when we were, when we were um, at, the, at the back of exit, I actually paid off all my small investors, and when we were giving money back to investors, it was just so satisfying. Uh, it's um, it's it's just in- incredible. And I remember like the other day, I was talking to someone about you know, the successes of startups, uh, you know, and we the the startup success is always defined by the money you've raised. Not the money you distributed, and and I would actually say, I would love to see 
that disciplined given the you know the, the market conditions right now you know it'd be good to see like people aspiring to be you know to and and that goes back to the whole idea of digital health if digital health is 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 delivering right it 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 pays off investors will will invest more because i also actually believe that in the future uh, healthcare companies going to be the big companies they they're, they're going to be the googles of this world you know they because you know, we realize that the one thing we don't have, and it's precious. It's how it's your health, and so so I think there's a lot of potential. But but up till this point, it's been really difficult for many companies to extract that value. So that you know the ideas are there, um, but but maybe the monetization is not yet. Mm. Just going back to your NHS point, I think it's I saw a quote a talk an an interview answer from simon sinek yesterday uh where a company said to him they want to be innovative and they want to be efficient and he said that's impossible because in order to be innovative you need to be experimental and you need resource to conduct your experiments so that you can become innovative you can't have the same metrics for efficiency as you have for innovation those two things cannot work together you can be efficient in one place and innovative in another you can be efficient in one place to be innovative in another but that resource needs to be distributed from your efficiency towards your innovation one worry that I have with the way that healthcare is going and it's in affordability is that the, the greater that the expectation is of people to receive prevention, diagnosis, treatment across a wider and wider and wider amount of conditions and things is that the burden of what the budget needs to spread across gets larger the budget itself gets thinner and thinner and thinner and then gaps start to appear now it seems that the mindset at least in the digital health world in the health tech world is that digital health and health tech can make things more efficient well that's great but if the resource isn't there for experimentation because we're running ourselves so thin, because we've run budgets so thin now, there are all these digital health products that can make things more efficient, but there's not the capital available to take the risk on the experiment to do the innovation. So we're in a spot where we've got, <laughs> to, coin a, to coin a phrase, but... Uh, or a really inappropriate metaphor, you've got a pack of fags with no lighter. Like you've got all these digital health products and nothing to ignite them into life. You're stuck. You're stuck with a load of startups that require investment but have no payer. You've got a load... Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, and that feels yeah, yeah, to me 100%. like we're, we're, in, we're in like a... We're in a stalemate almost where... We're not getting the digital health adoption to provide the efficiency to allow the capital to invest in more innovation. Like that isn't there. So something has to give. 
and some people argue that pharma are the ones that need to step in and fund things massively because we're also solving their problems with NHS innovation. Some people argue, like the people, people argue differently that it's the responsibility of the entrepreneurs to prove it. It's the responsibility of the entrepreneurs to build the networks. It's the responsibility of the, of the, you know, the, the demand side to, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's loads of different people that say the responsibility lies in different places, but ultimately I understand what you're saying. I understand that it's difficult to find that model in the NHS and how that insurance model therefore works. I understand that. I also feel the pride at having a healthcare system that's taxpayer funded, that doesn't discriminate and provides emergency care to the people that actually need it and supports the lowest in society. And there is that Robin Hood effect of me who cashes them very little on the amount of tax I paid to the NHS actually giving back per se to those that need it. I enjoy that. And like you rightly say, would I pay more? Yeah, I would pay more. And so I, I just, I find it, I understand how difficult the position is and I wonder what gives first. I wonder whether we get the capital injection I wonder whether that capital injection also comes along with incentives for organisations to take risk and therefore, by proxy, incentives for organisations to experiment and innovate. But we need to be okay with failing in order for that to be the case. And I, I just think it was a great clip that I saw that innovation and efficiency can't be the same thing. Like, you know... You're nailing this um, because I'll tell you... uh, I'll tell you a little parallel, um, which is very, very simple. Why, uh, why startup world, why startup ecosystem in London is so vast, right? Not just because London is a big city. It's because you have the SEIS, EIS scheme, which is, yes. which is unheard of incentives. in different countries. So incentives. So basically, as a banker, we all invested in startups not in just just real estate and 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 stocks and and, and bonds we were we were investing in startups because you know for SEIS I was getting 50% back from my taxes yeah okay. why wouldn't you probability it's of success for, exactly is risk risk free if you, if the company makes after 3 years and you sell it there's no capital gains tax it's the most beautiful scheme i was i went to the ministry in poland and i said could we have the same because we would prop up the, the, the market so much. So imagine if you, if you took that parallel to healthcare, you're right. If there were the right incentives, and actually you're, you summarize it really well, because you know I look at US, I look at Germany, and I look at Middle East right now. They're the three hub spots for innovation. You know, they'll, they'll pay for you know, digital health. These guys are just not, they're investing. You know, they're, they're investing, um, there's, it's, it's so much easier to sell stuff, you know, digital therapeutics. I don't know, uh, uh, you know, kind of your, 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 your interesting stuff that, you know, for instance, you're like Informatica, uh, you know, I'm working for. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a global leader. Uh, it's a company originated in Poland, but it's a global leader in, uh, AI assisted triage and symptom checking. Now, yet they don't have one client in UK. They're very big in Germany, very big in uh, US. They, they, in Europe, their client predominantly is insurance. In US, it's the health system. So it's a different, you know, they've got this beautiful methodology, API first. So they will, they'll plug in in the way they're useful. But yet in UK, it's been a struggle. So that's why I kind of stepped in. I know the CEO very well. And I said, look, 
I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, to unfold this. But it's not been easy because I would love this to be integrated to NHS pathways. So NHS 111. By the way, you know, like it's, it, it, we've just won a, a similar tender in Australia. So basically running NHS 111 equivalent in Australia. Um, so why can't we do this in the UK? Because there are, there are struggles. There are, there are, there are some roadblocks that you cannot, you know, you cannot kind of jump over. Um, so I think, you know, NHS needs to, yes, you're right. NHS needs to be a bit more risky on the, on a, on a, in terms of investing in technologies. And, and, and then, and then they will realize because the, I think it's always a chicken and egg. I remember when we were trying in digital accelerator, we're trying to, let's say, implement our uh, platform into one of the trusts, you know, in a small sort of scenario. They said, okay, do a pilot for free. If we see a value, then we will pay for it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. You know, we have to, we have, we have people to pay and things. So, so in, in a way you had to rationalize, you know, the way you do your mm -hmm. pilots and things. So, so you're right. It's, 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 it's that, it's that moment. And maybe now, you know, I mean, you know, obviously Brexit meant that, you know, your goods trading and your kind of your regular businesses are a bit more uh, stricken. So maybe UK, you know, needs to flourish as, as a, as a sort of services and then healthcare, AI kind of bioscience giant. So now the government sh should say, okay, you know, uh, we're going to be this international hub for healthcare because London is, I mean, lo I mean, UK is big on healthcare anyhow, but London is incredibly big because there's so many hospitals and things. There's, you know, there's six airports for goodness sake. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So why don't we become like this uh, international hub for healthcare that everyone can come and try it out, like their ideas and stuff. And, and okay, we'll burn some money. It's the same uh, story with startups, you know. Not all of our ideas will work well, but some of them will. And, and then, you know, we will pivot and then we will we'll get to the monetization. And similarly, NHS, if, we, if, if, if they did kind of treat this as a startup and say, okay, well, let's just, uh, you know, leap of faith. Let's just invest in all those technologies. Uh, but then it actively helped them to embed themselves so they're reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Maybe that would have been a different story. But I also think it's the culture which needs to change. Um, because I think here... I love the social trust bit, by the way. I love, I mean, this is something we don't have in Poland. In UK, the social trust is incredible. Like, I trust you with all my heart until you prove me otherwise. It's the opposite in, in other countries, right? But what that means is if I have a, such a social trust in, you know, in, in, in NHS and in, in HMRC, and like, I may not be so willing to, um, you know, to change. And I find myself talking to payers in UK and they're very difficult to, to change, right? And because they think they, you know, it's such an established market. We know, we know our staff really well. And, um, so, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, I, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a big challenge, but I think it is changing. It is changing. We're still a big hub here. All we need to do right now is just, you know, find, ways to to prop up the nhs so they 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 become a bit more uh proactive and you're right if if that narrative between efficiency and innovation it's translated into government action you know they they will say okay because because i think you know people are reasonable here you know like you know if you put a nice narrative around it and the right people hear it out they say well that makes sense right 
They won't say, oh, you know, we're never going to do this because X, Y, and Z. The people will say, so I think it's, now is the time. So I'm really, really hopeful that innovation becomes uh, daily bread and, and then maybe NHS becomes that, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of a reference point to other, you know, nations, how we, you know, do things. Obviously, we, we still have got work to do. The problem is we're firefighting on, on small stuff. I mean, someone said to me the other day, you know, how can you have, you know, big innovation in NHS if, if your buildings are crackling or if you, if you don't have, um, um, you know, if you don't have, uh, you know, equipment and, uh, you know, kind of the basics, if you like. Um, so, I mean, I am, you know, one of the business I'm involved in is, is this, uh, you know, AI assisted triage. Um, you know, we could deploy this to people that they can self-care. Maybe they don't have to go to NHS each time, but just people love going, you know, people love having those, uh, uh, consultations with GPs. And so if we somehow, you know, try to see if we can, if there's other way, you know, and, 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 and explaining to people that, you know, we're, we're all doing this for the greater good of every, everybody else. Because like you said, if, 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 if you were to pay five to 10 pounds a month, towards NHS more, you would probably do it. But you would love everyone to join forces and, and, and the, the message and the strategy to be coherent. Because if you pay and others don't pay, you're not going to like that. No, quite. Listen, Lucas, we're running out of time here, but I want to ask you one more question before I let you go, which is obviously that um, following the exit, you, you've got involved in the AI space. What are you betting on with AI at the minute? You mentioned wanting to really solve a specific problem. You might not want to go into that if you're still in stealth, but um, how, how are you seeing the boom of AI at the minute and where do you think the problems actually are that need solving? So, so that's, you know, great question. And, you know, when, when I stepped away, I thought, okay, how do I, you know, what's the next thing? And I didn't immediately think AI because I, I don't want to do the hype thing. You know, everyone was talking about sort of generative and AI, but what I've realized all the businesses that I got involved have actually got the common denominator AI. So, um, so one of the business I'm, um, so one business I'm actually a, a founder of and we were in stealth, um, is, is basically a, a, an AI discovery engine platform uh, in, in biotech. We've got, we've, we've got great science uh, focused on healthy aging. So in a nutshell, I'm, I'm not going to be really scientific here. We are connecting diseases. Uh, and we're connecting diseases, creating molecular pathways. And then through those pathways, we, we, um, we find common denominators and then we intervene, those, intervene through drugs uh, in those common denominators, and we have this one uh, already one patent for 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 one indication uh, that has got multiple applications. So, so you know your your typical situations where you have one drug, one disease, or one sort of one molecule, one one target, um, and then you sort of test the water. We we have multiple drugs for kind of multiple applications through that pathway. So that's really exciting. I think AI. So I wouldn't say it's a it's a AI from a start. We're actually building the AI on mm. top of the the science that we've developed. We've got this kind of classification model, and we we put AI just to make it scalable. So that's the first one. Now the second one, as I said, is uh, I'm advising for Medica. It's a bread and butter business. I, I believe you know it's a symptom checker, which is which is API first. So basically, you can sort of plug this in uh, on an app on a portal call center. And it gives you that, uh, it's AI driven. So basically could, could, you know, give you that, uh, instant access to healthcare recommendation. 
uh, and it's very, very smart. They've, they've done this for 11 years, but uh, they've, they've actually started making money in the last five years, which is incredible how, you know, this, this whole maturity of AI application and, and you know, it, it had to happen. And, and it, Informatica is in 35 countries, you know, works across all the verticals. Um, and in, now we can see that, you know, the scalability of it. So again, you know, people talk about, uh, oh, generative AI will take over and will just kind of eat all those companies alive. I think, I think generative AI is very, very useful and it will be kind of, you, you could plug it in to that spectrum, but still having a solid medical, um, you know, kind of certified uh, symptom checker is still, a, you know, it's, it's still something that is very, you know, regulation is quite high on this. And there is a, there's over 50 doctors overseeing the, the tool, which gives me a lot of comfort. You know, we've, we've done 13 million interviews. You know, it's, 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 it's solid, right? But, but still the adoption needs to happen in a, in a greater sense. And um, where else? I, I'm, I've also recently invested in, um, in a company that uh, focuses on male fertility and basically, uh, just developed this world's first device that you can get your biomarkers, uh, your, your sperm biomarkers at home uh, through AI, um, um, through basically a hardware and software uh, combination. And the software uh, underpins AI because, uh, uh, because essentially you're, you're recording sperm, right? And then, and then the AI mo- the software, it kind of reads through the, through the sperm, uh, which is quite fascinating. So, uh, uh, really big on that. I'm, uh, you know, I think it's again, solving real problems. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a father to be, I'm 40, you know, not the youngest of fathers. Um, you know, I may, may not have the problem. I would love to know my health through, uh, through different biomarkers. I think sperm is kind of un- undiscovered, uh, if, if I may say so. Um, it, it tells you a lot about men's health. And also the fact that on the market, you've got so many femtech uh, initiatives, but there's not enough, uh, you know, companies focusing on, on men's health. I think that's very exciting. So, so I'm looking at companies that really, uh, you know, solve the real problem. I've also invested in some uh, companies like a medication management company in the UK, where basically, uh, you know, sucks in the data from EMIS and basically tells you if your pills and things are clashing. Uh, I think it's just incredible. Uh, we're over medicated in Poland. That's why I, I'm so, you know, believing these boys are going to really, um, you know, deliver this in UK. Uh, take this to Poland. So every investment, every advisor I do has got something, uh, you know, like a, like a real problem to, to solve. Most of them are AI driven because I think AI really helps to make it scalable, to make it a bit more, uh, nimble. But not to say that AI is everything. I think, you know, you still have to have the, the, the proper uh, medical backbone. You still have to have the real payer uh, that needs to pay for it. Um, and um, so I, I, I do believe in the vision where, you know, your Googles and Microsofts of, the, of this world will, will provide something incredible and scalable through our watches and whatever. Um, maybe that's the vision in the future. But we're nowhere near that. I think, you know, it helps to get that conversation going. Um, but I, I'm more kind of, I've got my feet on the ground. You know, I want to know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm solving niche area, similar to the telemedicine front, you know, look, I mean, we've, we've built telemedicine and then COVID came and suddenly everything is telemedicine, right? And it's a commodity. And so video calls, no longer a, 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 a proposition. Everyone does that, right? So, so maybe generative and AI is going to become this kind of uh, common playing field and then people build on it. So, so what, for instance, what Informatica did early on, which was really, really clever, 
uh, five, six years ago, they thought, okay, let's, let's focus on APIs. Let's not focus on a platform per se, because the platform would mean that you go to different providers, they already have legacy systems that you have to kind of plug yourself into. So I'm also thinking that we come into a point where there's so much innovation with AI, but also we need to make sure that it all kind of fits in together. So the patient pathway is, is, is undeterred and it's, and it's seamless. So I think we've got a lot of challenges, but I'm really excited that AI is not, no longer a fancy word. It's actually a tangible thing. You know, people understand the, you know, there's so much stuff going on in radiology in, uh, with AI or there's so much uh, around sort of data management. I love these sort of, uh, systems that, you know, can mine the data uh, of the patient and then, you know, maybe flash out people for clinical trials and things like that. So, so there's a lot of excitement, uh, but also tangible, tangible uh, applications, which I'm, I'm really excited for. And, and obviously this will continue. Uh, I, I don't like that, you know, overhyping anything because when you overhype, then there's, there's winners and losers, right? Um, you know, obviously we've seen what happened to 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 Babylon and and, and obviously I I was a big fan of of the vision, you know, uh, because I think the vision was grand and people really believed in the story that you you give scalably uh, healthcare to you know people's po- in, in people's pockets. But also there are some challenges and and we have to learn from from it and 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 there will be I I really hope that there's going to be a lot more unicorns in this space where you know people you know people. Um, master the model so well that everyone buys it, and because the healthcare world is is, is vast, right? There's providers, there's insurers, there's all sorts. Uh, and so, so if you uh, if the, if the world becomes a bit more, you know, tech savvy, you know, you 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 have a big market to play. And uh, but yeah, but we we're still early stage, and I would every kind of every high level conversation that I have, I always kind of tone it down. I said, well, let's test it. Let's see how this fits in. Uh, and so I like these niche applications because this way you can really test the water on something smaller and then maybe you, 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 you roll it out onto a bigger vision. Awesome. Lucas, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Awesome stuff that you've been involved in. Obviously, growing Trust the Doctor from start to finish, growing up in Wolverhampton, a, a massive highlight of your life. Uh, congratulations for having done so. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, uniting healthcare insurance and finance is not easy. And actually, to do that in a, in a business model that works, that aligns with the values that you have, I think you've done in, incredibly well. And now, obviously, um, trying to invest and spend your time and and create new companies that really fit with that vision of where you want healthcare to be. So, um, as I say, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Are you a LinkedIn guy? Are you an email guy? I'm a LinkedIn guy. I also um, I, I I do put email out as well. So happy to respond on any. It's it's funny that I do actually get quite a lot of LinkedIn requests. Um, but I'm always happy to to engage and help. Um, you know, very, uh, very, very much. Like I've seen ha- how it was for me when I was kind of starting out. So, so if you've got an idea or you want to test something or you just want access to someone, you're happy to always to do that. Beautiful, absolute pleasure, Lukash. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.